0: You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We continue our series, um, Season of Growth. If you uh, are are, are new to the church today, then we're a church that's been, um, we could say in a season of growth for four or five years. We've been a real blessed time in our history as a church to see this church grow in number, uh, more than doubling in size over the, the last five years. And just as we're in the middle of this time, we feel God's spoken to us and said, as a picture of a small goldfish going into a bigger goldfish bowl, um, and apparently a, a, if a goldfish is given bigger parameters, uh, it's, it's able to grow more. God is saying, I'm going to give you space to grow more. And so we're really excited about that. And we do, we do get excited about growing in number. Because we want more people to to know this Jesus that we know about. And God is excited about growing in number because he says, I will have a a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. That that God is going to see his name glorified across the nations. And so more and more people added is a great thing. But we also believe God is saying to to us, I want you to grow in depth as well. I want you to grow your roots. I want you to grow down as well as up and, and out that you would be a people who grow in heart, a people who grow the way I've called you to grow. So over this series, we've looked at things that we feel God is saying, it's time to just focus on some things before you move on that I want you to be strong in. And all of these things, we believe God is saying to us individually. We, we want that as we listen. We say, God, move my heart as we just prayed. But particularly in this series, we're, we're saying we want to take it a step further than that. We want God to grow us as a family in these things. That we would say, yeah, this starts in me. God, I need you to grow me in certain things, but I'm going to take the hands of those around me and step forward together. And it makes me think of uh, this, this passage in Second Chronicles where, where it says, God's, The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the world looking for those who are committed to him. Looking for those who take him seriously. And as we've got this, this prayer week coming up, we want to be a people who are saying, God, would those eyes stop on us, please? Here in Hope Church in Ipswich, would your eyes stop in Ipswich? Would you bless Ipswich? Would you, would you move in power in Ipswich? We desperately want God. God, we want to take you seriously. Would you stop here? Would you have favor on us? And, and so we looked at these things. We're saying, God, would you grow us? Would you help us? We, there's two, two ways you can grow, isn't there? There's one Healthy way to grow in strength and muscle. And there's another way that's not so healthy to grow. (laughs) That is is more like just being bloated. And and God, we want to grow strong. We want to grow healthy. We want to be the church that you've called us to be. Not just to do what a church is supposed to do. Yes, we do want that, but we want to be the church God has called us to be. Authentic church he's called us to be. And today I want to talk about a topic that, is sadly absent in the world, in our nation, and even in the church. We're going to look at growing in reverence. And you might think, what, what even is that? It sounds like a very religious word. Reverence is to grow in awe, to grow in wonder, in respect and honor of God. We, we're looking at growing in reverence today. And we're going to look at a passage in Isaiah. It's so important that we look at this, this topic in... In a world where it says Paul says to, to Timothy in Second Timothy, in those last days, people will be lovers of self. And they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And that, that is very evident, isn't it? It's evident out there. It's, it's evident in here as well. And we need to say, God, would you, would you help us to see you in a way that causes us to be a reverent people? If we're going to be a people of faith, people of prayer, people of courage, a community who help each other to stand. We've got to be a reverent people. We've got to be a people who say, God, I, I believe you for who you say you are. And so we're turning to a very famous passage in Isaiah 6. And Isaiah is, is, is a prophet. He's known as a, a major prophet because he has so much content in his book. He's one of the major, the bigger books and he's different to most prophets, and most prophets in the Old Testament came from very humble backgrounds, like farmers and shepherds. He came from nobility. He had an audience with kings and, and, uh, and rulers. But Isaiah sees God in this picture, and it changes everything for him. It changes everything for him. And we, we are praying today, I'm praying this week for this God. Would you help us to see you on Sunday morning, to see you and have our hearts changed. Let's read from verse 1 to verse 8. It will be on the screen as well. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined from a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom? shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Father, we want to ask you to visit us this morning as we open your word, as we dwell on this passage. We do pray by your Holy Spirit, would you move among us, recognize this is an opportunity for us to have our eyes opened, to have our ears opened, to to have our hearts changed. Lord, don't let that opportunity pass us by. Let us hear you this morning. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We call on you, Holy Spirit. Do a work among us. Let us be a people who stand in awe of our God, who are amazed by you. Lord God, let Hope Church be a church that you say, that church, they honor me. They respect me. They know who I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I wonder if you have ever had to represent somebody or ever had to be in a room when somebody's been spoken of and you've had to back them up and say, well, I'm not sure if that's true. I'm not sure if that's what she would say, actually. Or I think he would say that. I think he, I think he would want us to, to say this. And you've had to, you had to represent somebody, be an ambassador for somebody. Perhaps officially you've had to do that. Or perhaps, I wonder if you've had to describe somebody before. Maybe you've you've, you've told somebody about your spouse or your children, and you've described them. I was thinking about this this week, and I was uh, watching a video online of, of, of some couples who had to describe their spouse to a forensic artist, and they were saying things like, oh, just his nose is a bit narrower than that, and his eyebrows are bushier than that, and actually his ears are just a bit lower than that, and... Her, her, her chin is just shaped a little bit different and, and telling this forensic artist what the spouse looked like and, and at the end they gave the picture to the spouse that the picture was of upside down and they all did this and then after three they turned it over and had a look at what their partner had said about them and the vast majority of them responded like this what? <laughs> what? what were you thinking? It was hilarious. One of them said, I cut my sideburns off about two months ago. You didn't even notice. Most of them were were, were thinking, is that how you think I am? It's really important that that we, we get a true representation for who God is. That we let him speak for himself about who he is. I've heard evangelists say that evangelists are people that would tell others about Jesus. with a gift for that. They might say to somebody, where do you stand with your understanding of God? What do you think? And people might say back to them, I don't believe in God. And the, the question they will ask them is, well, which God don't you believe in? And they find answers come back at them like, well, I don't believe in a God who's, who's just sitting on clouds in the sky and, uh, and just ready to, to, to zap us if we do something wrong. I don't believe in a God who's so full of his own ego, everything has to be about him. And just, it's, just, it's just there to take, tell us off. And then, then the evangelist will say back to them, that sounds like uh, Thor or Odin. I don't believe in those gods either. Let me tell you about the God I do believe in. It's so important that we let God speak for himself. That we understand who he is. And I love passages like we've just read in the Bible that, that, that give us this, this picture of God that helped me to be shaped by, by him rather than me trying to shape him. I've had Christian friends who, who, who I would talk to them about something that, that God says or does in the Bible. And they would actually say back, my God would never do that. My God would never say that. That's worrying. Because this God did say that. This God does do that. So I don't know who your God is. We have to let God tell us who he is. And, and through this book, we see right from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22... God telling us in his grace, this is who I am. Right from the beginning, I love Genesis 1 to just be captivated by this God who can speak, and out of his mouth, faster than the speed of sound, matter comes into existence. Out of his mouth, he speaks, let there be, and light comes into existence. And he speaks and planets start to orbit and start to rotate. And he speaks and fish's gills start to breathe in. And he speaks and monkeys' hearts start to pump. And pandas' eyes open. This is God. No one else has the ability to speak life right from the beginning This is the God we come to on Sundays. This is the God we come to in prayer. This is the God we come to in his word. We read things right throughout the Bible. This God who astounds us, who, who helps us to see, look, I'm not going to change for you. This is who I am. I'm immovable. I want you to know who I am. We see things like Moses, who has this incredible story. You may have seen some of the movies or, or know the story quite well, where he sees amazing, amazing miracles. He sees the Red Sea parted so that they can walk through on dry ground in the power of God. He sees a, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to keep them safe. He sees God work incredible wonders. And yet Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. What? You've seen this? You've, seen, you've tasted of manna from heaven. You've walked through on dry ground. What do you mean you want to see your glory? No, I know there's more. I know there's more. Let me see your face. And God says to him, This is up on the mountain. God says to him, Listen, Moses, look, look, you get behind this cleft in the mountain, you look through carefully, and I'll pass behind you. I'll pass by you and you'll get to see the back of me. Because Moses, no one can see my face and live. No one can look on me and live. This is a a mighty God we come to. And Moses looks through and he sees the glory of God pass before him. And he goes back down the mountain. And just at the reflection of the glory of God on his face, people say, Moses, what are you? What's happened to you? Cover your face. I can't look at that. Just at the reflection of the glory of God on his face, people are terrified what, what's, what's happened? What's happened? Cover your face. You have to wear a veil. This is the glory, the might of the God that we come to as we see stories of, of God. He says, I will be with my people, but I can't be with them literally. They won't survive in my presence. So I want them to, to carry a box. We call, they call it the Ark of the Covenant. I want it to be very precise proportions. I want it to, to carry some artifacts. It's a very holy thing because it represents my presence, It's not a joke. It's not just throw something together. No, it's very precise because because I'm not just a a roll over God. You need to be very precise. I'm a holy God and it's a reverent thing. I can't be with you, but this will be the representation of my presence. And uh, they're supposed to carry it a certain way on the poles that go through some rings. They're supposed to carry it on their shoulders to keep it safe. And, and at one point, the people of God let, let some oxen carry it. They put it across the oxen back. And one of the oxen stumbles. And you could even argue, out of respect and honor, a man called Uzzah. have got great names in the Bible, did not they? Uzzah, he stoops to stop this thing from hitting the ground. Just, just helping you out, Lord. And God's not actually, he doesn't say, oh, thanks, that was close. No, Uzzah instantly dies. This is what it is. To be before a holy God. A God who's not saying, oh, oh yeah, okay, I'll bend the rules. No, no, I understand that was a different situation. No, no, I understand. Actually, no, let's change this. No, no, this, this, is, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is what it is to know an awesome and holy God. We've got pictures right through the Bible of Psalm 64. The nation's rage. God opens his mouth. The earth melts. Psalm 2. Kings and rulers rise up and plan against the Lord; He laughs at them. I love to read these things that make me realise who it is that we come to. Isaiah 55, God says, "My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways." Deuteronomy talks about Him as a consuming fire. Wow! This is the God who I come before on a Sunday morning. This is the God I come before when I read the words. And Isaiah has this picture in Isaiah 6 that begins with, In the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Who is king Uzziah? Who is this? Well, the nation of Israel had split into two, the north and the south, Israel and Judah. And Uzziah was a king of Judah. And he was a good king, he was a good ruler, he'd done well, he started particularly well doing what God had called him to do, ruling the nation as God had called him to do, and the nation had benefited well from this. He didn't end so well, because he didn't, he didn't honour God with some of his final choices, but he was still a good king, and when he died, the nation was in a, was in a time of mourning, a time of uncertainty, a time of fear. Does that sound familiar? Who's going to rule next? What's going to happen next, God? Who's going to run our nation? Where are we headed? What's going on? This is similar. This is familiar to us. And this is their sovereign has died. Their sovereign ruler has has died. And this starts like this. In the year King Uzziah, our sovereign, died, I saw the king. The sovereign, not dead, seated on his throne. In, in the turmoil of thinking, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our nation? He didn't look up and see God going, he died faster than I thought he was going to. What are we going to do next? Quick. So who can lead? No, God is on the throne, seated, completely sovereign. The word Lord in the, new, uh, in the NIV particularly, it, it Capital L and then lowercase O-R-D, it is a translation of the word Adonai. And it means sovereign one, ruler. It's a, it's a title. It's like prime minister or president or king. It's the title. The year that our king died, I saw the king on the throne. I saw him seated. I saw him in control. Perhaps that, that might even help you today. Just thinking, okay, well, I, I'm aware of some of the fear I get, of some of the uncertainty, some of the not knowing what's going to happen next. It's important that we remember there's a God on the throne and he's at utter peace. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's seated. And it says this, the robe, the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe filled the temple. This God on the throne has a robe that is coming out from him that fills the temple. I want you to picture a wedding where there's hushed silence as hundreds of people are sitting either side of the aisle. As the groom stands at the front looking back for the bride waiting. And perhaps, I don't know what you do, do you look at the groom? Look at his expression, do you look at the bride and see... Her beauty and her coming, I'm sure we all do different things, but the room is in hushed silence waiting. The music plays and starts and, and people turn and they, they gasp as they see the bride in her beautiful dress, her beautiful gown. As she comes up the aisle, there's almost a bit of giggling and murmuring. They think, well, this is a bit extravagant. Her train of her dress is like five meters long. It's filling up the aisle. Whoa, this is extravagant. She gets to the front and her... her, her um, Bridegroom is, 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 is just ecstatic. Look at you, you're beautiful. And they turn and they realize, wait a second, someone, someone's missing here. We can't get married right now without the priest. And then suddenly there's this murmuring at the back. There's this, this muttering and, 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 and bigger gasps. <gasps> and, and laughing and murmuring. And what on earth is going on? And the, 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 the priest comes into the room and his robe comes with him, and his robe starts to flood the room in a way that people have to start moving chairs, and they've got to realize, I'm not going to fit in here, and the chairs get started to move to the side of the room, and they're folding them up, and, and people are standing like this, as this robe just keeps on coming, and coming, and coming, and, and, and he walks through, and people are exiting side entrances, so that they could actually not get drowned in this, in this robe. And he gets to the front and the bride and the groom are standing against the wall like this. And he stands. He opens his Bible says, are we ready? The train of his robe fills the temple. He's not going to be outdone. He's extravagant. There's this is abundant greatness of our God. This abundance of, of, who is this? No one else is like this. That he's seated on a throne, but the train of his robe fills the temple. We're supposed to be amazed as we look on this and see this is what God is like. And it says this in verse 2, above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. I wonder what you think of when you think of seraphs and angels. Are we see in Christmas cards, these little fat chubby babies with rosy cheeks and little wings? And maybe you've seen some You know, some of the Roman Catholic paintings, and you see these little cherubs. Well, do you know what seraphim means? It means fire. This is a fiery, angelic being with six wings. It's a mighty, mighty being. And when it speaks, the thresholds shake. This is not a little cherub. This is a terrifying, terrifying being. The sort of being that I do not want to meet in a dark alleyway. I do not want to meet anywhere. I don't want to be in the presence of something like that. It's terrifying. I don't know if you've ever been in a thunderstorm that, that, that got to the point where you thought, I'm actually scared now. I've got, to, I've got to hide. I've got to get away. I remember when I was younger, I think it was like early in the morning, and I was uh, in bed, and, and there was a bang so loud of thunder that it shook the house. And I had a friend who lived about four blocks away. I remember phoning him. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? And it was a little bit like this. This, this thunder has, has shaken them to the point where their alarms go off. The, the, the seraphim, they, they, they're calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and the thresholds shake. Sometimes we come into church, and I love this morning's worship. I love this time of dancing and, and being moved. But sometimes we can come and we can feel it's difficult to be moved by God. Well, in this picture, we've got we've got inanimate objects that have the sense to be moved in the presence of this holiness. And these angels, who are terrifying, fiery beings, have to cover their eyes and cover their feet in the presence of this holiness. And they call to one another. They dare not look at him. They call to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And I just... It's helpful for us to understand, what's the significance of this this triple repetition? Holy, holy, holy. Well, it's a Hebrew literary device. It's a form of emphasis. In English, we use exclamation points. We use bold or italics or underlining to emphasize something. A Hebrew technique was repetition. Think of Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you. To repeat something was to say, this is of crucial importance. I'm emphasizing how, how big this thing is, how important this is. To, to emphasize it, to, to repeat it three times was to emphasize super importance. This quote from R.C. Sproul is helpful here. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say he is holy, holy, holy. That the whole earth is full of his glory. This is crucial to this passage. This is the crux. This is the centerpiece. Isaiah has come and seen God, and he's suddenly aware this is a holy God. Well, what does holy mean? What does it mean? It's it's used in so many different ways and if I were to ask you to explain it to me or if I was asked what, what to say it's quite easy to say well this is about God being pure right this is God's purity this is this is that he's free from any stain he is perfect He is immaculate and it wouldn't be wrong to think that way when we think of holiness but at best it's a secondary meaning of the term the seraphim did not call out pure 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 no, it primarily means separate. It's from an ancient word that means to cut or to separate. It's like think of the term that person's cut from a different cloth. That they're a cut above. He, he's separate from us. He's not like us. But it's not just as simple as he is. He's separate. It is. It's a transcendence, a transcendent separateness. It exceeds usual limits. You are different, and you are. You are so much higher than us. You are transcendent. You you overwhelm us with going far beyond our limits. We're talking about the sense in which God is above and beyond us. His supreme and absolute greatness. This is what we see in these stories I've told you. Through here we see this God who has absolute greatness. Absolute transcendence. Higher than the world. The Bible says the earth is his footstool, that that he is the first and the last, the alpha and omega, that that he sustains all things by his breath. Higher than the world and has absolute power over the world. The world has no power over him. His consuming majesty is exalted loftiness. He has exalted loftiness. His His majesty is consuming. There's an infinite distance that separates him from every other creature. Oh, yeah, I know God. Yeah, I know. no, he is he's infinitely separate from me, infinitely holier than me. And what's more, when the word holy is applied to God, it's not just talking about a, a, a facet of God's character. It's not just one of the attributes of God. Yeah, he's, he's love, he's kind. And he's holy. No, it is the generality. It's it's the overview. This is who he is. So it means that his love is a holy love. It means that his justice is a holy justice. His mercy is a holy mercy. His knowledge is holy knowledge. And his spirit is a holy spirit. All that he is, is holy. And he's the only being who is holy within himself. No other holy being can be holy within themselves. They need a touch from the Holy One to make them holy. There is no being that is holy within himself other than our God. What response does this get from Isaiah as he looks on at this holy God? This is what he says in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. My, my eyes have seen the King. I'm ruined. I'm done for. These words can be so woe is to say, I'm doomed. That's the end of me. I, I, I'm over. It's, it's finished. Just by seeing this God. And he says, I am ruined. And the other versions say, I'm, I'm lost. I'm undone. He's exposed in this moment of contrast of, look at him. He's suddenly aware of, look at me. Look at him. Wow, look. I'm filthy. I am filthy. He wants the earth to swallow him up. He wants wants the the temple to fall down on him. I just want to get out of this presence. I am ruined. And as I said earlier, the, the Lord with a capital L, lowercase, O R D is Adonai. This Lord, which it should be in capitals at the bottom here, because if it's all capitals, it's using the word, it's, it's translating the word Yahweh. Yahweh. A word which was, was was so was so revered. It was it was God's name, not his title, it's his name. It was so revered, it was like they had to whisper it. It was a word given to them that they, they could they barely pronounced Yahweh. They were so careful. They revered him so much. They were careful with how they said his name. And and this is the Lord that Isaiah sees. Wow. I saw the Lord. I saw him. And the the result was, I saw who I was. I'm doomed. I'm lost. Everything I put my hope in. Everything I built my life upon. Everything I thought that counted for something. Everything I thought was holding me together. I now realize it's all empty. It's futile. It's vanity. It's nothing. And it's worse than nothing. It's filthy. Suddenly he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And he's not thinking, I hope I get my way here. No, he's utterly broken, utterly, utterly overwhelmed. He's worse than nothing. He's unclean. And he comes from a people of unclean lips. He realizes it's not just me who's in trouble here i don't know anyone like this i don't know anyone like this we're all in trouble here with this holiness being our god and for the first time in his life isaiah really understands ah oh, this is what god is like and the result is for the first time in his life he understands this is what i'm like if we want to understand who we are we get there by seeing who god is have we seen this god Do we understand who we're coming to when we pray? Do we understand who we're coming to when we worship and we sing these songs, when we're coming together as his bride? We're coming together as his people, his chosen ones. Do we understand the incredible privilege it is to come before this one? Do we understand who we are? I do not deserve to be here. I'm not waiting to question this God and say, "Hey, what's going on here then? Why am I not getting away? No, God, I don't deserve to be here. The contrast is astounding. And it changes Isaiah. He's groveling on the floor. Every nerve in his body is trembling. He's looking for a place to hide and praying that somehow he can get out of this place. Get me out of here. And unlike Adam, Isaiah does not have Eve to console him. He doesn't have a fig leaf to cover him. He understands, I am done for here. I am in moral anguish, the kind that rips out the soul of a man. I have got nothing to hold on to here. I am guilt, guilt, guilt. That's who I am. Relentless guilt screamed from him. Before the holy, holy, holy one. Before the God on the throne. Before the one who speaks things into being. Before the one who is utterly pure. Before the one who, who cannot bend for us. We recognize, wow, I, I fall so short of this holiness. Does this resonate with you? If this resonates with you, I want to tell you something. Your whole future... Your every hope depends on what happens next. Everything depends on what happens next. Because at the moment, we're done for. We're in the same boat as Isaiah. We are absolutely done for. No hope. Nothing to hold on to. No claim here. Before a holy God, I can't say, but wait a minute. I, I did charity work every Monday. Are you kidding? No, we've got no claim before this God what happened next? Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. See, Isaiah's only hope, this hopeless man, his only hope is the same as our only hope. His hope was... He's not going to consider proving himself here. There's no way. I can't prove myself. I can't can't have a claim on anything. I'm not worthy and I know it. My only hope is that this God who is holy, holy, holy is also a God of grace. That's his only hope. And it's our hope. This holy God is the God of grace. And as we see in this story, God takes the initiative. Isaiah doesn't, doesn't go to the altar, doesn't go to the coal. God sends an angel and the angel takes the coal to his mouth and cleanses him. He says, see, this has touched you, your guilt's taken away, your sin atoned for. God took the initiative. He took immediate steps to cleanse Isaiah and make this unclean and undone man clean. And restored. To make him whole again. This man is saying, I've got nothing. I'm like an empty shell. God touches him and now you're whole. You are whole, Isaiah. And now you are a living, holy man. And this is the time. Say, this is the same hope that we have. Because we don't have any hope of showing ourselves as clean before. Holy, holy, holy God. Holy God took immediate step towards us. The huge problem for us is that a holy God does require justice. He's not the doddering old man in the sky who says, come on then, come in. No one really listens to me, so just come in. No, he's not. He's holy. He is not somebody who can just say, oh, go on then. I'll let you off. He requires justice. Cannot ignore the sin that condemns us, that makes us unclean. So we are completely stuck. God, what's it going to be? Justice? Am I doomed? Or mercy? And God says, there's only one way. It has to be both. It has to be both. And his step toward us was not to send an angel. And and I don't understand this. Because I've got three sons. I cannot imagine this. But this holy God. This holy, holy, holy. Sends his own son. I cannot fathom this. His step was to step into the darkness himself. To step into the dirt himself. Holy God puts on human flesh. And he lives this life that we can't live. And he isn't in need of cleansing. He is clean, he is perfect, spotless he is other and he displays his otherness as he walks the earth I've been reading Matthew 8 lately and, and I love the stories on, on the boat with the storm going the storm comes and Jesus is asleep and he wakes up and, and the angels are terrified and Jesus speaks a word shh, 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 to the storm and the storm listens to him he speaks to the wind and the waves and they're still and this was prophesied in Psalm 121, I think it is. And it says of who does this in Psalm 121, only Yahweh can do this. Jesus comes as Yahweh. Jesus comes as the great I am. And, I, and it's amazing this scene because it's like this fear of the wind and the waves that the, the disciples have suddenly turns to this fear of who is this? Who is this? He is not like us. He is other than us. And this fear of the wind and the waves almost turns into, I'm going to jump into these waves to get away from him. This is utterly different to me. I've never experienced this. And a few stories later in the same chapter, Jesus crosses the lake. And he goes to two demon-possessed men. And there were hundreds of demons who were, who were oppressing these men. And there was this way that people couldn't get through because these men were violent because of this demonic presence. And Jesus, with the word casts out these demons into pigs and these pigs go down the hill and they they go into the lake and it's a picture of Jesus making a way where there was no way and sending the the, the enemy into the lake which is what it says in Revelation he will do and people come out of the town to see this Jesus. What's happened? here? We've heard about this, these violent men, it's been dealt with and do you know what they say? They beg him to leave. They beg Jesus, leave, leave us. Because they're aware, this, this, this is not a man like us. This is terrifying. I, I'm terrified to be in the, the presence of one with this sort of authority. So Jesus, the, the one who is Yahweh, the one who is the great I am, comes to us. And he stepped into our world. He made the steps to cleanse us. He didn't do it with a burning coal from the altar. He did it by getting onto the altar himself. He got onto the altar, as as John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the sacrifice that God gave us because we couldn't do it ourselves. And God said, in justice, someone has to be punished. And I will be punished on your behalf. So Jesus gets on the altar of the cross. The sacrificial Lamb of God, the holy, holy, holy ones, took away the sins of the world. He paid for our guilty rebellion himself. On a wooden cross with nails through his wrists and through his feet, with a thorny crown buried into his skull, with people he was dying for spitting at him and slapping him and pulling his beard out and mocking him. Holy, holy, holy God is a, it says in the Bible, he was marred beyond human likeness. Why would he do this? Why? Why would you do this, God? Why would you do this? Why would he do this? Why would he he go to such lengths? It tells us in Ephesians 2. Because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly, heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Why would you do this, God? And Jesus steps into our world, and every step he takes, every time he resists temptation, every choice he makes, every thing he does, Every despising that he's on the end of, every labour he works, every abuse he suffers, he's saying, I love you. I love you. That's what I'm doing. That's why I've come. I'm walking a road you couldn't walk. The Holy One comes in because, because we're so different. We're so far behind. He can't, we can't measure up. I, I'm going to come in and I'm going to rescue you because why? Because I love you. See, this is true grace. This is amazing grace. This is what makes grace amazing. Not a God who's a pushover. Not a a weak God who just says, I, I don't really know. People don't listen to me, so just let him in, I suppose. No, not at all. Holy, 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 terrifying, awesome God. Atoning for our disgusting rebellion by shedding his own blood. So that we can sing as we have this morning, so that we can shout, so that we can dance completely free from guilt. Completely free. Or oh, isn't there a little bit of guilt? No, he's paid for it. Well, what about what I did yesterday? Paid for. What about what I'm going to do next week? Paid for. Because the Lamb of God suffered for you. Are you in Christ today? If you're not in Christ, woe to you. Woe to you. Isaiah, before a holy God, woe to me. Your hope is step into Christ. Receive forgiveness so that you can know this is atoned for. This is, this is paid for. No guilt. No shame. See, the power of God's grace is that the holy judge is the one proclaiming not guilty. That's the power of, the, of grace. Is that It's the holy judge is the one who says, Tim's not guilty. Romans 8 says, who can bring any charge against God's elect? Who can bring any charge against God? It's God who justifies. So God has said over me, not guilty in my son Jesus. If you're in Jesus, he says over you, not guilty in my son Jesus. And somebody could come to you and say, hey, I saw what you did. You're guilty. And you can choose. Who do I listen to? Man or the holy judge of heaven and earth? I stand amazed in the presence of, Of this God who would say, I am the one who says, guilty or not guilty, and those in Christ are not guilty. Mm -hmm. Who can bring any charge against me? It's not just people who will, it's Satan's desire to corrupt you. Satan's desire to to lie to you, and and, and he is the accuser, it says. He's the accuser of the the brothers, the accuser who, who tries to bring Christians down. Say, hey, you are guilty of this and this and this, and we can choose. Who do I listen to here, Satan or the holy judge? the one who holds all justice in his hand i'm going to listen to him that's the amazing grace that's amazing grace i don't deserve to be here but you have set me free and how does it finish here then i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and whom will go with us and i said here i am send me who shall i send who shall go for us? Isaiah does not say, Well, 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 I'm, I'm unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't possibly go. Doesn't say that anymore. He says, Here I am. He's gone through a cleansing. He's gone through a, a salvation. He's gone through, Well, I'm the man now to do this because you've worked in my life cleansing. You've worked in my life restoration. You've made me whole. Now I can go. This is what it is to be in Christ. To not be saying, but but what about this? What about that? No, God's dealt with it. It's finished. That's why Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. And we stand in his completed work. In his finished work. It's the end of woe is me. And it's the beginning of send me. Send me. God, send me. Use me. Do what you will for your kingdom. Let's see this kingdom grow in Ipswich. Let's see this kingdom grow in our nation. As we adore him, as we come to him, as we revere him and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. And we trust in his unfailing love. And it may be today that you've never put your faith in this Jesus. You've never said, okay, I I recognize that before a holy God, I'm empty. Before a holy God, I've got no claim. Woe to me before a holy God. I need salvation. I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. And and, and we're here to say to you, Jesus Christ is our answer. Jesus Christ is what we say as a church. We are here to make Jesus famous. We're here to make him famous in Ipswich and the nations. He's our only hope. Come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus today. If you want help with that, we'd love to introduce you to this Jesus who changes everything. And for the rest of us, there may be two wrong views that you have of God. Maybe you, you felt God's, God's a bit of a pushover, a bit of a wimp. He, he, his job is to forgive me. So, so really you don't have reverence of him. You don't think his ways are, are with the times. He's behind the times, actually, and we've moved on. And perhaps today you need to repent and realize, God, you are holy, 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 and I need to bow before you. I'm not gonna ask you to bow before me anymore. Perhaps you know that's you, and you think, yeah, I've got to do that, I've got to recognise before this God I've got no claim. Apart from his grace, apart from Jesus, we have a huge claim in Jesus. And perhaps the other view you've had is that you think he's a tyrant, you think he's angry. And it paralyzes you. You feel this sense of guilt just overwhelms you. You you do feel the sense of woe is me. And you can't get away from it. And and the answer for you is to remember. He is a God of justice. He is a holy God. But in his holiness, he's a God of grace. And that in Christ, you must remember. He's the one who says, "It's, it's, it's me who justifies. It's me who justifies. No one can bring any charge against you. If you'll put your faith in my son, and you need to remember today, God, God, I need to let go of accusation that I stand under, anxiety that I stand under, fear that I stand under, from, from things that are their voices are not supposed to be as loud as your voice. Your voice is supposed to be the voice I listen to. And I've been letting other things speak to me. Let's just pray. Father, we we're amazed that we can stand before a holy God. As it says in Hebrews, boldly, we can approach this throne. Because it is a throne, but it's a throne of grace. And we can't approach it because of what we've done. But because there's a great high priest who's gone before us. And we stand in him. It's amazing, we get to stand before you boldly. Lord God, would you help us to be a church who know what it is to stand in awe of a living God? To revere you, to, to submit to your ways, to say, not my will but yours. You are the holy one. You're the one I bow before. Lord, we if you agree with me, would you just respond in your heart or out loud if you like? Lord, we repent of a small view of God. We delight in a holy, holy, holy God of grace. We pray, would you help us to grow wise as we fear you, as we trust you, as we follow you. We pray, would you help us to grow in joy and peace as we receive your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace. We who had no hope have found ourselves in quite an unbelievable position. Sons, daughters, heirs of the Holy One. Wow. Wow. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.